1: Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to what is really an emergency Sunday edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View, and I guess we have to call this the first Valentine's Views podcast of the Giants' Kenny Galladay era. So, happy Galladays to all of you Giants fans and uh here to help me discuss the the Galladay signing, what it means for the Giants, what the expectations might be going forward, he is Big Blue View contributor and uh, a guy who seems to be everywhere these days, Mark Schofield. Mark, how you doing? Thanks for jumping on.
0: Oh, Ed, happy to be here I, and. Happy holiday to you, my friend. I like that. I like that little tagline. It's impressive. Yeah, I, I,
1: I, I can't say, I can't say that 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 that's original. It actually came from from Galladay's Instagram, believe it or not.
0: Oh, well, there you go. One more reason to sign the guy. He's a very creative person. He's going to help with team marketing.
1: There you go. There you go. And you know, let's 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 talk. I mean, Kenny Galladay is going to help the New York Giants. And you know, in in the buildup in the run up to free agency, you did for us a a film breakdown of Galladay that sort of put in perspective what he can do for an offense. And, and I just want you to talk about that a little bit because really, I think what you found is that you know some receivers do certain things well. Some receivers can help in the short area, some receivers help, you know, maybe with contested catches, certain things. I think what you found and we're not trying to put Kenny Galladay in the Hall of Fame here. We're not calling him Calvin Johnson and and we're not, you know, we're not putting him in the Hall of Fame, but I think what you found is that this is a guy who can help in multiple ways and at multiple levels of the field. Am I correct?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right, Ed. And You know, when you look at so much of what we do, whether it's draft rankings and evaluations, whether it's free agency rankings and evaluations, you know, ultimately what you're trying to get at is the player's best scheme fit. What roles will that player be best suited to fill in the National Football League? For some players, it's very narrow. And an example from a different position before we start talking wide receivers, this incoming rookie class of quarterbacks, There's a quarterback from the University of Memphis, Brady White, who's older. I think he's going to be 25 by the time his rookie, his training camp begins. He's had some injuries and he doesn't have an overpowering arm by any sense of the imagination he's best suited to run your traditional West Coast passing game, right? Quick throws, quick reads, get the ball out, let receivers make plays after the catch. If you try to drop him into a downfield vertical-based offense, whether a Bruce Arian system or what we sort of still expect the Giants to be running under Jason Garrett, he's going to have his struggles. And when you look at receivers, it's sort of the same set of questions that you ask. What can this guy do? What routes does he run well? What? When he comes to rookies, what routes is he familiar with running? Some receivers run the full route tree. A guy like Rondale Moore from Purdue, he's running hitches and swing screens and things like that. So you have to look at what the player has done on film, whether an NFL player or a rookie, and try to project what they can do best in the National Football League or with a different team if they're a free agent. When you study Galladay's film, he's one of the like three receivers, I think, in this class of free agents that are sort of the universal fit. Hem, Robinson, and Godwin, because you can see all three players win in the short areas of the field and then get yardage after the catch, sort of your West Coast fit. You can find Galladay, win it on crossing routes, slants, hitches, speed routes to the flat, things like that. You could also find him working over the middle without fear. That gets you sort of into your intermediate Perkins-type systems, those systems like, you know, Kevin Stefanski is running with the Cleveland Browns, where it's a lot of play action and crossing routes, and he shows no fear working over the middle. He runs great routes over the middle, whether they're speed routes on those speed over routes or digs, which require a bit more of technique to them. Then you look at the vertical passing game, and obviously I don't think there are any questions about Galladay's ability to go downfield to win in the vertical game, to beat receivers, you know, in man coverage situations on vertical routes, on go routes. And then you mention contested catches, and there might not be a better receiver in the game right now, you know, than Kenny Galladay in contested catches. You know, and he's fantastic in space, fantastic in those tight situations. And so when you start to fill in all the things that he can do, you see how. He's sort of like I call him the universal fit. I think he can fit in any offense. And when you start thinking about what that means for the Giants, you know, he can serve a bunch of roles. He could be your downfield guy. Or if you're looking at Darius Slayton to be that or the two of them doing a conjunction, that's great. Or he can work the middle of the field. Ross is also a speed guy. Shepard is doing some quick area stuff. But Galladay can contribute at all levels which puts stress on the defense at multiple levels and forces you to do different things in coverage. And so I think it's a fantastic acquisition because he's a player that can do so many different things. You can find so many different roles for, and he can ultimately be, and this is probably key. ed he can ultimately be, Daniel Jones is best friend because he can win in those contested catch situations. So if it's a third and seven situation and Jones doesn't like any of his options, he can always know in the back of his mind, if I put the ball in there, Kenny, chances are he's going to come down with it.
1: Right. And we talked about, you know, I I had you and and Tony Rassiopi on the show earlier in the off season and we talked about Daniel Jones and we talked about the year three leap and we talked about... Josh Allen and what happened with Josh Allen in Buffalo in the third year of his career. And you the reality of it is that one of the keys to that, obviously, you know, there was personal improvement, but for the Buffalo Bills, one of the keys to that was that they went out and they got him Stefan Diggs. They got him a pure number one. They got him a guy that can make plays for him, you know, that can turn, Small plays into big plays that can make catches that, that probably shouldn't get made. And I think for the Giants, this is an absolutely comparable type of signing. And, you know, maybe you don't get the, the 127 catches from Galladay. Maybe you don't get the, the massive leap from Daniel Jones that the Bills got from Josh Allen. But I think this is the Giants effort to To give Jones that kind of a chance, I mean, is, am I? I think that comparison is pretty pretty applicable, right, Mark?
0: Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. Look, we all know that this is a copycat league, right? And if you're a team with a young quarterback right now, you are probably, if you're not doing it yourself as a general manager, you've got somebody in the upper levels of your front office or maybe a team of sort of young members, young personnel, interns, whatever, studying the Buffalo Bills. You know, how do they get Josh Allen to make that leap? Like we've talked about, like we talked about potentially with Daniel Jones when you Tony and I got together and you're looking at the acquisition of a receiver and Stefan Diggs, that certainly helped Josh Allen from a confidence standpoint, from a trust standpoint. From that, it's third and seven, and we got to make a play. And I know I can trust this guy to help me. That's probably exactly the thinking that went into making this move because now, as we've talked about earlier, as we talked about on that show, Jones has his digs. Jones has his guy that he can go to, that he can trust. Hopefully, the two of them are already throwing and catching together and working on routes. If not, that has to happen this week to build that, you know, relationship to build that familiarity of, you know, because so much of what happens on the fields on Sundays is built now. You know, when you see that with Josh Allen, when you see the strides he made, you know, the work he put in with Jordan Palmer, Jones has to be doing the same thing and Galladay has to be at his side for that. And so I do think that this move and Gettleman said that he said that, you know, when he addressed the media last week, we've got to get weapons for Danny. We've got to get weapons for Jones. And they're doing that, you know, and look, the John Ross acquisition, the the Kyle Rudolph acquisition, you know, those certainly fly under the radar right now. But those are, I think, are critical elements, too, because, you know, you look at Kyle Rudolph, you can run some 12 personnel with Engram and Rudolph. And that's sort of a tough Personnel package to defend from a defensive standpoint because you treat Ingram as a receiver and then play sub package. And if you do, obviously Ingram can line up in line. You can run the football with 12 personnel. If you treat him like a true tight end and you go base, obviously Ingram can spread out. You can spread out four or five wide and throw the football I mean it gives you that flexibility that's why I love 12 personnel so much and that's why I think what you see in teams like New England do is trying to get back to that 12 personnel package because you can force the defense to be wrong and then with Ross and his speed his ability to get downfield you know you've got different ways to attack defenses right now and so these are all moves that are made with an eye towards one thing getting Daniel Jones those weapons putting him in a position to be successful putting him, put him in that position to have that third-year leap like we saw from Allen, like Giants fans hope to see from Jones this year. And now really there are no excuses. There is no reason why Jones can't make that leap. And if he doesn't, there are difficult conversations to be had next spring, next winter, because you've put him in position to be successful. And this is you know the time to go out and just see if Jones can get it done.
1: I, I agree with you there, Mark, but I have to – I have to take a, a short detour here. You mentioned New England, you mentioned oh tight ends. Oh they signed they signed what? Fifteen, 15 sixteen, yeah, 15 eighteen tight, tight, ends. tight ends. What what is is there a name, is there a number that gets attached to a five tight end package?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, technically, if you look at it, a five tight end package is a zero five package. I mean, that that's, you know, that's what that might be what we're seeing. I've had a lot of Patriots fans in my DMS and on Twitter being like, are they running 13? Are they running 14? Are they going to run 05 personnel? Um, You know, I that there are obviously a couple of different ways to look at what the Patriots did. You know, you could look at it and say, Belichick is overreacting. He's panicking. He doesn't want to lose again. He saw Brady win a ring. He's spending more money than he usually does. If this were another team, say the New York Jets, that signs two tight ends to big contracts after drafting two on day two of the draft last year, we'd all be ridiculing them. We'd all be, you know, making fun of Joe Douglas. But since Belichick, he seems to get a pass. I mean, there those columns have been written those podcasts have been recorded and produced and, and uploaded. Um, and I understand why people are sort of having that viewpoint. And it may turn out that that is right. It may turn out that this was a wild panicky overspending spending spree from Bill Belichick. Now, I, I do think that in the sort of glass half full approach, if you want to view it that way, not that many giants fans do. Uh, and I understand that is that they had the money to spend, you know, they had the opt outs, they had the money to spend, They went through the down season last year. They rode that out. And now they had money to spend, and they realized that as much as they might have trusted their evaluations on Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene, as much as they might have trusted their pre-draft evaluation of Nikhil Harry, they got them wrong. You know, they got them wrong, and they're moving on from mistakes. Now, maybe it looks like overpaying for O. Smith or overpaying for Nelson Aguilar is a panicky move, but they realized that, you know what? We might have to pay a little bit more in the open market now to get players to come to New England than we did when we had Tom Brady. And so we have to sort of deal with that and approach that with that mindset going in. Uh, it, will it work? It might. Because, again, that 12 personnel package, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people brought up the names Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski. It's not to say that Jono Smith and Hunter Henry are as good a players, or as good a duo as those two players. But it's the thought process, it's the scheme, it's the concept, it's the idea that we're going to go with 12 personnel, we're going to force you to decide as a defense what you want to do. And if we get the matchup we want, say we have those guys on the field, those two, Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar is our receivers, and maybe James White is the running back. You know, When you decide, look, we're worried about you guys throwing the ball, we're going to put our base 4-3 on the field, now you just line up and, and run the football. Belichick has praised both Henry and Smith over the years for their bro- blocking ability. And so you can run the ball with those guys, but say as a defense, you're like, no, we are afraid about getting thrown on, you know, you know, what, what I'm trying to say is if they go base, you can spread about and throw it. If they go light nickel dime, you can condense the formation. Those guys and block, you can run it down their throats. You will force the defense to be wrong. And I would imagine that as part of that, you are going to see what they did back in those days, with Gronk and Hernandez, a lot of umpt- up-tempo, a lot of no huddle. You know, If you're going to get the defense to be wrong, you, you punish them and force them to stay in that. Now, I know the substitution rules are different, so the defenses can try to get around it. But I'd imagine that that is the approach. Will it work? Maybe. What's the biggest question remaining? Quarterback, can they address that? I'm not sure if they can. I mean, they're at 15, and I know, look – I'm working on something for Big Blue View about how many quarterbacks might go in the top 10. You might see five. And if that's the case, well, New England's picking up 15. Can they get up into the top 10? It might be a lot to pay, and they don't have a ton of draft picks. So, you know, it might be a situation where they're rolling with Cam and maybe a Jamie Newman sometime on day three and hoping for the best. I don't know. Um, But it's very unbelichick like That's why a lot of people are sort of questioning it, and I understand it. Um, but they had the opportunity to spend this money and throw that mo- kind of money around, and they took advantage of the opportunity. And they signed the top two tight ends. Like, I think, you know, that's kind of an impressive move. Um, maybe it's a panicky move. Um, but these are two guys that can move around a bit. You know, they're sort of that tight end and name only type of player. And so we'll see how it works out.
1: Oh, I should have known better than to give you a chance to talk about the Patriots, Mark.
0: You <laughs> get me wound up this Sunday morning, my friend.
1: There you go. There you go. So, hey, um, on a Giants, you know, back to Galladay and, and, and the Giants. And, and we'll talk about Kyle Rudolph in a minute and 12 personnel and all of that because I, I love the Kyle Rudolph signing for the Giants. But one of the other things I want to talk about with Galladay – Is not just, you know, the three levels of the field and the contested catch, but the fact that he is, you know, what, what, uh, what people generally refer to as a true X. He's a, a, a Des Bryant type. And, and, you know, we all know that, that the Jason Garrett offense, when he was coordinator and head coach in Dallas tended to succeed best. When it had a, a Terrell Owens, you know, early in Garrett's coaching career there as as a big target on the outside, and then Des Bryant later on. And and for me, one of the things that I like about, about this signing for the Giants, instead of maybe a guy like Curtis Samuel or or even Juju Smith Schuster, is he's a he's a true outside guy. He's a guy that allows the Giants to, whenever they're in 11 personnel, he allows them to put Sterling Shepard back in the slot full time where he functions best. He also allows Darius Slayton, who is a talented, young, you know, big play speed guy, but maybe not a real number one, he allows Darius Slayton to play against teams number two outside corner. So when the Giants are healthy and have all three of those guys on the field, I just, I think that personnel wise, Galladay is a really good fit for what the Giants already have. Do you see it the same way?
0: I do, Ed. I do. And I think. You know, and, and a lot of players have that sort of interchangeability between being an X, being a Z. You know, some guys that are in that mold can also be a slot. I mean, you know, you look at, you know, for example, Alan Robinson. He has the ability to operate out of the slot as well as those X and Z spots. I think Slayton can do that as well. And I think Galladay can do that as well. But I think Galladay can be that. 11 personnel, X receiver, line to the bottom of the numbers. You don't have that two-way go, but you have to be press coverage, you know, one way or the other. There's must-release outside, must-release inside, depending on the play. And you can do that. And he can do that. And I think that this is an important acknowledgement by Dave Gettleman, that this incoming class of receivers, as much as I love it, Ed, and I do, I'm staring at my whiteboard in my office with I'm supposed to be doing top 11 at a number of different positions for USA today. I told the editors, I'm not keeping it to 11 at receiver. I'm just not, I'm putting in 14 or 15 names, partly because I'm ranking Kyle Pitts as a receiver as well. But you look at the names, you look at Chase Waddle, Devonta Smith, Tony, you know, Rondell Moore, Rashad Bateman, A lot of these guys are more that slot or Z type. It's not the best draft class for say the pure X receiver. You know, Dme Brown perhaps from North Carolina, Nico Collins perhaps from Michigan. I think Bateman can be an X. Uh, Marshall can you know be an X, but they might be better suited as Zs when they start off. Um, So it's not the best draft class at the X position. And if you're looking at We've got to build our 11 personnel who's going to be that X. These rookies are a bit untested and you're rolling the dice on a rookie or a guy that's proven to have done it in Kenny Galladay. And so I think, you know, this move is that acknowledgement that yes, this isn't the best class at that spot in that role. And when you talk about scheme fit, finding a player that could be that 11 personnel X that could win against press, that can, if he has to release outside, he can do it, you know, doesn't need that two way go. Then Galladay is a perfect fit for what you're looking for. And so I think when viewed through that prism, it's one more bit of evidence why this is just a fantastic acquisition for the Giants.
1: And you know, the other acquisition, you mentioned John Ross and, and, And Ross will give the Giants depth and and a speed element and hopefully he'll do, you know, he'll, he's never going to justify the ninth overall pick, but hopefully he'll give the Giants something as a fourth or fifth wide receiver. But the guy who, the acquisition that I'm excited about, the guy that I really think is a perfect fit for the Giants, for Daniel Jones, for a Jason Garrett offense is is Kyle Rudolph I look at now Kyle Rudolph is not Jason Witten all right he's not going to the Hall of Fame but he gives the Giants that traditional tight end that guy that can run the the stick routes that guy that can be a red zone threat that guy that can run the The Y option stuff that Jason Witten went to the, is is gonna go to the Hall of Fame for, for having perfected. He, he can run those, those traditional kinds of things. You know, I, I thought Jason Garrett tried to pigeonhole Evan Ingram into some, into some things that, that Ingram doesn't really do all that well or that don't fit Ingram's skill set a year ago. So I just look at Kyle Rudolph and I'm not looking at a 60 or 70 catch guy. But I'm looking at a guy who both run blocking and in what they want pass game-wise is a really, really good fit for for Jason Garrett. You uh, you see it the same way?
0: I do, Ed, and I think a lot of that, you know, a lot of, you know, the reason why I think the Rudolph acquisition is great. is not so much what it might mean for Jones, but what it might mean for Ingram. You know, I remain high on Evan Ingram. I loved him coming out of Mississippi. But I do think that similar to the scheme fit discussion we've been having that sort of permeated throughout this entire conversation is, you know, put an Ingram in positions where he can be most successful. You know, if you're asking Evan Ingram to align next to the tackle and pass protect, down block, combo block, you know, 30 times a game or something like that combined, I don't think that's the best use of his skills. I think Ingram is that, Pure move type tight end that might be best used as just a big slot type of receiver. You look at how the Dolphins finally seem to have unlocked Mike Geseki. It's that willingness to put him in roles where he's best suited. You know, a big slot guy. Align him as an X sometimes in some packages. You know, move him around. If you've got a twelve personnel package that has both Galladay, Engram and say, you know, a Sterling Shepherd in the game. You know, but maybe you turn that into an eleven on the fly and you've got Evan Ingram aligned as your ex. Like there are things you can do with him that I think he's better suited for than just lining him up next to the tight end, next to the tackle. And I think with Rudolph in the fold, that will help you sort of unlock that potential of Evan Ingram. You can have him do more of the stuff that he's better suited to do. And I think in terms of what Rudolph just personally adds to this offense, like you mentioned, by option. Why stick? You know, he's not the greatest blocker ever to play the tight end position, but I think he's very solid in that role. And I think that, you know, Rudolph will certainly get his targets, will certainly get his touches, you know, 30, 35 catches, 40 catches maybe. I think that's reasonable sort of expectations going in, given everybody that's on this offense. But he will give Jones another, you know, target, security blanket type of tight end and also help free up Evan Ingram to do what he does best. And so I think this is a move that's made to help two young players, both Daniel Jones and Evan Ingram, while still obviously helping this Giants offense, get those weapons around Jones and be a more well-rounded offense going
1: forward. So, so here's the other question when it comes to, you know, we spin forward to the draft and we're sticking with the Giants offense here. The, I do a mock draft tracker every Friday or Saturday, you know, once a week. I sort of total up in various, you know, what I consider to be the, the respectable mock drafts and pretty much overwhelmingly between, you know, maybe 60-65% of those mocks have had the Giants taking a receiver, whether that's been Jalen Waddle, whether that's been Devonta Smith, You know, and some mocks consider, you know, Kyle Pitts or even if Jamar Chase were to fall that far, you know, any of those four, you're sitting at 11. The most likely guy for me to be sitting there at 11 among all of those wide receivers is is Jalen Waddle, maybe Devonta Smith as well, but you're sitting there at 11 and you're, and you're Dave Gettleman, Mark, even having signed Galladay. Can you pass on Jalen Waddle at that point?
0: It's tough to do. That's tough to pass on Waddle. And I, I will say that, you know, similar to the quarterback discussion, you know, however you want to rank the top four quarterbacks, if you five if you put Mac Jones in there. The top four receivers I'd say Chase, Waddle, Smith, Rashad Bateman, you know, pick your flavor there. I mean, if you want to tell me that Jamar Smith is your wide receiver one, sure. If you want to tell me it's Devonta Smith, you know, Jamar Chase, Rashad Bayman, any one of those guys, fine. Um, If you want to tell me it's Waddle, I'm fine with it, too. I I think all four of those receivers are fantastic. When I watch Waddle, I see the track background come to life. And, you know, I've done a video on him and I I I highlight the pace to his routes You know, he had this crossing route, I think, against Texas A&M, where he showed you three different speeds on the route. You know, this slower release on the line, off the line, excuse me, um, into a second gear as he starts to get into his break. And you can almost, you know, sometimes, Ed and you know this, when you're watching film, you can almost see what the player is thinking, right? You can almost see the safety thinking, Oh, that's his extra speed. I can match that. And then Waddle shifts into a third gear and just runs away from this safety and just turns what was like a yard of cushion into like four yards of separation while working across the field. You see that track background come to life, that ability to pace yourself, to get into that kick, that extra gear. You see it on the vertical stuff downfield as well. Those, you know, double move type routes or a route against Missouri where, They've got slot defender over him, safety over the top, and he runs past both of them on a fade route for a touchdown. And if you've got questions about Waddle, you know, there are games that become scouting lore, you know, games that, you know, when you talk to other scouts, NFL scouts, team scouts, other people that do it on the media side like you and I, oh man, how many times have you watched that game, right? Right. Like 2019, Alabama versus LSU, I've watched that game probably 25 times, partly because you had Travon Diggs versus Jamar Chase in that game, but you also had Burrow and, you know, you had the other Alabama receivers, Ruggs, you know, it was a fantastic game to watch. Nine players won in the first round of last year's draft that played in that game. But another game that's become sort of scout and lore this cycle is Waddle versus Missouri because you had that touchdown I just described. You had the play earlier in the game where he runs a post route and just out leaps two safeties at the catch point for the catch, gets blasted by one of them, and somehow hangs on. It was like the John Elway run in the, his last Super Bowl where he got helicoptered. It was that same type of moment, but he held on to the football. And that Missouri game is one of those scout and lower type games when it comes to Waddle. And so if he's there at 11, I think even with a Galladay signing, that is hard to pass on. You know, but the Giants are going to have options at eleven. Partly because, like we talked about earlier, you might get five quarterbacks off the board before eleven, which means a Chase, a Pitts, a Smith, a Waddle. Those guys might get pushed down the boards. You know, edge players, you might have the option of the first edge player in the draft. Now this is a strange edge class. You know, we've talked about that some of Big Blue View, and you and I have talked about it some. I don't know if you have to go edge there. I don't know if you want to go edge there. You might want to wait on that. Um, You might see one of the top tackles there. And Ed, you and I talked about that briefly. Like, do you consider that? Do you consider tackle at eleven? If you know a Rashawn Slater is staring you in the face, who's somebody's, who's many people's offensive tackle one?
1: Well, here's Uh, Mark. Here's the thing. They're going to have options. I wanted to get into offensive line. It's where I kind of wanted to go next because what I wanted to ask you, as we talk about options for the Giants, and they could go defense there, like you said, they could go edge. They could go Micah Parsons if he happens to be sitting there at 11. They could go cornerback. They could do so many things now. They could trade back a little bit. The, the Galladay signing and some of the other work that they've done in, in, in free agency, especially, you know, there's, there's word that, that they're going to be talking to, uh, Adoree Jackson on Sunday night. Um, you know, he's coming in for a visit, you know, possibly as cornerback two for them. But the question that I have for you as we focus purely on offense, Is we've talked about Daniel Jones, we've talked about wide receivers. We know Saquon Barkley is coming back. The Giants, in a cap move, had to let Kevin Zeitler go. You're entering a season, you know, with with Andrew Thomas coming off a a poor, a relatively poor rookie season. Though I'm still bullish on him. They believe in Matt Pert at the other tackle. They like Nick Gates at center. But to me, they have, you know, that to me, I'm not sure you can be comfortable with the guard situation for the Giants. So I guess the the long-winded way of getting to the question is, are you comfortable with what the Giants have on the offensive line in front of Daniel Jones at this point? I mean,
0: I think this group can get it done, but I think... At best, you're cautiously optimistic, you know, because you hope that Andrew Thomas is a bit better than what he was last year. He had his moments, but there are also some moments where the hand placement, the hand usage, and all that stuff were question marks. Um, You know, the right tackle, um, that part, you know, you hope that maybe he solidifies that spot as well. Um, Nick Gates at center, Will Hernandez at left guard. Like, I think those are suitable options. Right guard is a question mark. You know, I know they've got Kyle Murphy there right now, but, you know, I don't know how confident Giants fans, let alone the organization, are in that. And so the opportunity to draft an offensive lineman at 11 is something that I don't think people should close their minds on. Um And if you look at, you know, A guy like Rashawn Slater, who has shown the ability to play a bunch of different spots on the offensive line, whether it's right tackle, whether it's kicking inside, whether it's left tackle, you know, you go back and you turn on his film against Chase Young from two seasons ago, and he's handling
1: the guy. And so that was you talk about scouting lore, Mark, and and, and the the Slater versus Chase Young is all I had to watch. That's all I had to watch to know what kind of a player he can be.
0: And I think, Ed, you're not alone in that. Because I've heard from other people, both with teams and other people on the media side that were like, once I saw that, like I didn't need to see anything else. Like I know what this kid can do. If he's doing that against a guy that came into the NFL and Chase Young and started dominating veteran NFL tackles, like that's all I need to see. And so, yeah, I, I, I might, I've had the idea that Slater might be offensive tackle one. I know a lot of people have built up Penny Sewell, the Oregon kid. Um, But Slater might be OT1. I think, you know, Sewell has certainly the ceiling and he has upside and he could become great. Um, But Slater, that game stands out. And, you know, the idea that you could perhaps see that option on the board. I mean, I really think if they stay at 11 and don't trade out and we all know Gettleman's obviously his background, his modus operandi is to stay where he is and to make picks he is going to have the opportunity perhaps to decide between a Micah Parsons or a Sean Slater and one of these top three wide receivers. Like, you are going to have that opportunity unless something crazy happens. You know, if we get a, a Watson trade that takes away one quarterback needy team, um, you know, maybe one of those guys might be gone. But he's going to have some great options. And I don't think you should foreclose the idea of draft an offensive line. Now, if Slater's gone – you know, and Sewell's gone, then I think maybe you wait. You look at, you know, the pick that they have at the top of the second round, right? The pick that they've got at 42. You might see a Wyatt Davis there. You know, you might see a Tevin Jenkins there or a Carmen Jackson, guys that are tackles but are probably going to be guard converts. Um, You might see one of those guys there. And so perhaps you feel like you could wait because, you know, the offensive tackle – Class is a bit deep. You know, a Dylan Radance from North Dakota State, maybe he's another guard convert. You know, the guard position, those players typically slide a bit. Um, so you could probably address that at 42. I know a lot of mock drafts have the Giants at 76 um, address an interior offensive line. A lot of mock drafts have that Quinn Minor, It's a Division three kid from University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. Um, so I, I think they do need to address offensive line if one of the top two tackles is there, I think it's hard to pass on one of those guys. Um, but if they're gone, then maybe you wait and look more at what you can do with that pick at 42 at the offensive line position.
1: Yeah. You know, the reason why, you know, I think people at big blue view know that, that I'm a, a Slater fan at this point. And at 11, if he's there, You know, I, I can make the argument for taking Slater and depending who else is there, I can make arguments, you know, for, for going in another direction. But the reason why I think I like Slater there is because I want Matt Parrott to be given an opportunity to, to take that right tackle job, you know, and, and, and win it outright he showed some good things last year. I mean, he struggled a little bit at times, but he showed some good things for a kid that really wasn't expected to play much at all. As a rookie got a lot more snaps than anticipated, but I, my take is that a guy like Slater, you could, you could plug him in immediately at right guard. And he gives you protection. If Matt Parrott, isn't the answer at right tackle? You can slide Slater out to right tackle, and and he can do the job out there. So I mean that that to me is why why I like the Slater pick. But but I also think I agree with you if it's if it's not Slater, if it's not Sewell, then then I'm going to wait and and I'm going to try to fill the offensive line on day two, early day three. I kind of you uh, you see that you see Slater the same way though, Mark.
0: I do, I do. I mean I, I think. You know, from that Chase Young game, from the ability that he's shown, the positional flexibility. I mean, I think he's somebody that, yeah, if he's there at seventeen, I think you can draft him and know that, you know, you can if he has to play tackle for you, he can do it. If you have the flexibility where the other guys do what they need to do, and now you can have Perry at right tackle, Slater kicks it inside to play right guard for you, which I think he can do at the NFL level and do it extremely well. Like that's suddenly an offensive line that I think you can really be confident in from left tackle to right tackle and all in between. And so I think if he's there, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And I think it would make a lot of sense. Um, but if he's gone, if Sewell's gone, you know, I don't know if you really want to go with one of the other tackle types at that point of the draft. I don't know if the value makes sense. I think you will have the opportunity to draft a immediate contributor, whether it's linebacker, whether it's a wide receiver, whether it's at edge um, and then look at, Cause, you know because those positions have depth, you know offensive tackle has a bit of depth, guards will slide down a bit so you can address those on day two, and so I do think that that would be the sort of you know decision making process if sewell is if Sewell and Slater are both gone by eleven
1: so last thing, mark it's been a good week for the giants but but we all know you know going back to the to the Belichick patriots conversation, we all know. Nobody gets points for winning the off season. You, you get points for for winning football games, and and now it's up to the Giants to uh, to to win football games. I think the one thing they've managed to do by getting Leonard Williams back, by by signing Kenny Galladay, you know, maybe even with some of the smaller acquisitions that they've made like Rudolph, is I think they have managed to, to up the expectations and up what might be acceptable, you know, for the Giants in twenty twenty one.
0: No, I think that's right. I, I think that's right. Now obviously this is a a division that still has some question marks. I mean yes, Washington won the division last year, but they won it at seven to nine. Um you know, you look around the Eagles, they look to be still sort of trying to figure some things out. They had some tough cap decisions that they needed to make. Um, you look at Dallas, and yes, they brought Dak back, but they have massive questions on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, it's so I, I think, yeah, the Giants are in a position where they can be a competitive team in the NFC East. You know, I, I don't think any of these teams is a sort of like virtual lock here. And like you said, look, nobody wins Super Bowls or division titles in the offseason, you know, those Nobody hangs a banner for winning the offseason. Um, but you look around and Dallas has questions. Washington has questions. And so, yeah, I, I think with the moves they've made, they've put themselves in a position to be competitive in the NFC East next year. Now, it will all come down to what we know it will all come down to. Does Daniel Jones take that year three leap? If he does, they're certainly going to be competitive. If he doesn't, it's going to be much tougher. Um But this is year three. Bill, Bill Walsh, who... Knew more about quarterbacks than I ever will. You know, he always said that, you know, quarterbacks got three years to sort of figure it out. We're in year three. He's got weapons now. There's really no excuses. If he can go out and put together the kind of season, the kind of, you know, execution that we've hoped to see from him for a while now, if he can do that, this is a team that can win the division. If he doesn't, This is a team that's going to struggle to win the division, and that will open up the sort of discussion about what to do with his fifth-year option and what to do with the quarterback position moving forward. But they have done what they needed to do around him. Now it's up to the quarterback himself.
1: Yes, it is, Mark. And, and, and speaking of excuses, I think that, that I've taken enough of your time and, and I have provided you with an excuse long enough for not doing that yard work that I, yeah, that exactly. I know you're I got, just I got, dying to do. Ed, I got that
0: pile of mulch in the driveway that I gotta get moving.
1: There you go. Well, well, you know, let's, let let's, let's wrap it up here, Mark. And, and, and then you can go get that, get that mulch dealt with. Yeah. So. Can't hey, wait. Just, just, uh, Just, you know, if you can tick off the the long list of places where folks can can find your work and and interact with you on on social media, go ahead and do that before I let you go.
0: Well, thanks, buddy. Always a pleasure to catch up with you, my friend, uh, before the shows, after the shows, and all that good stuff. Uh, You can find me on the old Bird app, at Mark Schofield, Um, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, uh, Pat's Pulpit, uh, Bleeding Green Nation, and, of course, over at Big Blue View, where I contribute um film breakdowns and things like that but the easiest way to keep track of me and all the crazy stuff and hijinks i get into uh is on twitter at mark
1: Schoolfield. all right mark thank you very very much
0: thanks my friend
1: and uh, giants fans thank you as always for listening and uh, we will talk to you again soon bye-bye now